0: Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Filia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. My name is Heather Branskell Evans, and I'm interviewing Jennifer Lahl for a Philia podcast. Jennifer, I'm very pleased to be speaking to you today. Um, you are the president of the Centre for Bioethics and Culture, and I gather that in that role, you've become interested in surrogacy, or if I may ask, did you did you take on that role because of your prior interest in surrogacy?
1: No, I kind of backed into the whole um, issue around surrogacy And more broadly, the area of just third-party conception, so using other people's bodies, if you will, um, in order to make babies, eggs, sperm, uteruses, and the whole area of assisted reproduction. I am, in a prior life, a pediatric critical care nurse, so I've always been interested in the science and the technology and the medical side of these things. Um, But I grew uh, more interested in the ethics side of it in my capacity of the president of the Center for Bioethics and Culture.
0: I see. And and out of that, I think you've, you've started an organization I, in order to explore the ethics of surrogacy?
1: Well, I think you're referring to the international campaign called Stop Surrogacy Now. If that's, right. Is that yes. true? What you're asking me? Yeah. So I wouldn't say that it's an organization so much as it's really an international campaign. So If you look at the debate around surrogacy that's happening around the world, it really is an international conversation. Um, And I work with NGOs all around the world that are, um, you know, fighting back, pushing back on legislation that will allow women to rent out their bodies and or sell their animals in this whole what I call big fertility um, industry. Yes. And so I saw the need quickly to organize because most of us are just running small NGOs. We don't have a lot of financial resources. We don't have a lot of manpower. We know we have a lot of volunteers and people that work tire. And I thought if if we could all sort of network together, we could share resources. We could keep tabs on what's happening in different countries. So, for example, the United Kingdom, the government there has just um, announced that there's a a public commentary period where people around the world can comment on the UK possibly changing their laws around surrogacy. So it just helps us when we're sort of all small little strappy um, to say, you know, keep keep in touch, um, keep up to date on what's going on and say, how can we all help one another um, to have a bigger megaphone and a louder voice in the debate? Because we're up against this huge, huge multi-billion dollar a year industry. You know, we're up against It's a very strong, powerful gay male lobby that wants to make babies and build families um, on the backs of women's bodies. Um, So that's why we launched the international campaign several years ago. And it's been really um, fun to see that network grow and really have influence.
0: Yes. I suppose you're not just up against that lobby, but you're also up against a sort of general discourse about this being a nice thing. It's about the growing families and... So to be to be critical of surrogacy is going against a general trend, do you think, in which it's become normalized?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The narrative is very strong. You know, There's this desperate, loving couple that if not for um, these angels that donate their eggs or, or loan out their wombs, we would never be able to be parents. You know, you, you're bombarded with the popular press. You know, in America, it's our People magazine. There's always the new Hollywood celebrity, you know, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Just welcome their second baby um, through surrogacy on the cover of the magazines. In the United Kingdom, you certainly have your share of athletes. In Europe, you know, there's um, celebrities. Elton John, I, I like to remind people all the time. I live in California, Elton John and David Furnish came to california twice to buy eggs from one woman rent a womb of another woman in order to to build their families so it's a very very strong narrative from just helping people have children what could be wrong with that
0: so given that you've asked that question can you explain what you think is wrong with that what are the problems with it
1: Yeah, well, there are so many problems. I mean, first is just, you know, again, I I remind you all that are listening that in a prior career, I was a nurse. And most people don't think that it is risky to the woman's health to sell her eggs or to engage in a surrogate pregnancy. And we're seeing in the medical literature, and we know from what we're, we're learning now, because this is still a pretty new phenomenon. So we're just now starting to get data in the medical literature that shows that a surrogate pregnancy is a much higher risk pregnancy than a natural pregnancy. Um, that to take a healthy, fertile woman, the egg donor, and put her on powerful hormones, high dose, powerful hormones in order to produce lots of eggs. I mean, if you're paying an egg donor for eggs, you don't want one egg that she would normally ovulate a month. You want, you know, 10, 20, 40, 50, 60. Um, the these dangerous risky procedure so you're taking te- you're taking a healthy one and you're making her unhealthy or putting her at risk so there's all that health problems with with this um, technology the second thing is is you know that we just know the corruption of money that this isn't that people we use the word donation that the woman's donating her eggs well she's selling her eggs you know and the woman is helping to have a baby well she's being paid to, you know, to rent out her whole entire body for nine months. So this, the whole area of how money corrupts um, and that really it's It's the Kim Kardashians that have money that are buying. And it's the low income, poor, impoverished women who have to sell. And, and then the fact that these um, arrangements are always entered um, heavy legal contracts. And I have read many surrogate pregnancy contracts Um, I've seen a lot of the documentation that egg donors sign. And there's no legal remedy. There's no protections for them. Um, The the contracts have heavy language about breach of contracts. So if you don't comply or obey um, whatever the terms of the the people that you're helping to have a child, you know, that you're in all kinds of trouble. And so all the legal ramifications um, come into play. So there's so many ways for people to understand why this might be problematic
0: have you come across women who become attached to the baby despite having entered into what they thought of was was uh, a, a contract
1: absolutely absolutely i mean women are not we're not robots we're not machines that we can just turn on and off Um, you know, these feelings. You know, when when you think about uh, my role as a pediatric nurse in the normal context of pregnancy, we always talk about maternal child health, we talk about maternal child bonding. Those are good and natural things that we encourage in, in the hospital setting. If a pregnant mother has to be hospitalized or she goes into uh, premature labor and delivers premature babies, we try to keep that mother and child connected as much as we can. But in the area of surrogacy, we sign these contracts. We say, I've even seen a surrogate contract that said language in the contract that said the surrogate mother would not form any attachment to the child. Well, you can't write that into a contract and expect, like I said, this woman to be a robot. We'll just say,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: I will not get attached to this human being growing in me. Um, I'm a dog lover. I'm a, I'm a dog owner. You know, when our newborn puppy was born, we had to wait eight weeks by law in California to remove our puppy from its mother. And then yeah. we took that puppy away and, you know, before the eight weeks, it was inhumane. It was cruelty to animals. But we do it with human babies and expect mothers to not have any feelings. And I, I've met many surrogate mothers, um, attached and wonder, and, and when a surrogate typically gives birth, it's, she often has no contact with that child. Um, in California, I know many surrogates who never even see the babies. The minute the cesarean section is done and the babies are out of the womb, they're whisked off into, you know, the intended parents' arms with the surrogate never even getting a picture, um, of what the baby looks like. So there is a lot of that sort of wondering and bonding. And you have, have to wonder that the child too wonders what happened to that person, that they grew inside of for nine months, that they, you know, they knew that person's voice, they knew her smells, they knew her rhythms of her body moving and all that, um, that sort of natural good stuff.
0: Mm. I wondered what you think, wonder what you think about the rights of the child to know who its mother actually is, whether this is, uh, comes into play for you as an ethical issue.
1: Well, it does, and it certainly comes into play when you look at the the context of children created through anonymous egg and sperm donation too. And that's another thing that we're seeing a phenomenon in the United States is we've become very fascinated with DNA testing. I don't know if that's true in in your country, but everybody's doing the 23andMe and swabbing their DNA and sending it off to the laboratory and finding out their their identity, their ancestry. You know, we have this real fixation right now in the United States with finding out where we came from. So right. we're, we're seeing a phenomenon of, of now young adults who are here because of um, anonymous sperm donation and pretty soon anonymous egg donation that are reaching out and finding half siblings, they're finding cousins, they're finding their biological mother and or father. And I think it will be true in the case of surrogacy if children are told, you know, a lot of times parents have legal um, obligation to tell their child how they came to be on the planet um, so, but if a child is told, you have to expect that there will be children that when they grow up will become curious and want to know who this woman was and, um, and why she, you know, by contract sold them. I mean, I, I, I am happy to say that this is baby selling, buying and selling a baby and what will happen to the, sort of the psyche of the child to create it in this one, this sort of weird, strange way.
0: <laughs> mm. I don't want to sort of push you to a place that you, do, you don't want to be in in relation to this, but it, it just seems to me that there is something about a, gay, a male gay couple having a baby where the, there is not a mother at all present throughout the child's life as being, in some sense, problematic. And it's difficult to say that without coming over as being... Uh, you know, traditionalist, pro the patriarchal family and so on, which I'm, I'm certainly not. But There seem to be issues here about just the use of women's bodies and then the discarding of women once their function has been complete.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to be pushed in that direction. I have no problem being upset and concerned about that. But I, I do have to say that, um, the, you know, the phenomenon began first with heterosexual couples who yeah. wanted to use women's bodies in order to gain, you know, their access to this child and whether yeah. it be they use their eggs and, or their, uh, their, their uteruses. So I don't want to let heterosexual couples off the hook Have and to, throw all of this on the, on the feet of the, the, yeah. the male gay lobby. Now that's lobbying for marriage equality and now family equality. But I do see, um, you know, this whole problem which is the eraser of, of um, the women who are used, exploited, harmed, in order to create the child. Um, now, in the case of the heterosexual couple, there certainly will be a mother figure in the home, so the child will be raised with the, the, the mother figure, where that clearly isn't the case in, in the, um, the same-sex male couple um, home. But, but the child still will know that this mother is not their biological or genetic mother or their birth. I um, yeah. do you think that that's problematic as well. But this sort of entitlement, and you know I, I am deeply troubled by the fact that gay men um, as couples overwhelmingly exploit two women because they don't want the surrogate mother to be the, the genetic mother of the child, because they want to be sure that neither one of these women has rights or claims to the child. So because if we used an egg donor and we used a separate woman's womb, you know if these cases end up in their courts, it's, it's a much harder case for a surrogate mother to make claim. And I've read a lot of the early cases that were litigated in California where they say, well, the surrogate is just the easy bake oven. You know, she's just providing the womb. She has no genetic ties to the child. Therefore, she has no right to claim motherhood for this child. Um, and the egg donor, who's often anonymous, doesn't even know where her eggs end up and that she's been involved in a case that's ended up in our courts being litigated, which I've, I sometimes I wonder if so many egg donors were just told. That you have no idea where your eggs will go and will they go into a family where the child will be raised in a loving, you know, safe, nurturing environment versus how many surrogate mothers and egg donors do I know if they knew that what they did ended up in these really nasty litigation cases all over the, the news, would they have um, wanted to help somebody have a baby?
0: Mm-hmm. This, the phenomenon of surrogacy in the larger context of the a, a feminist uh, analysis which would be about the use and abuse of women's bodies sort of spreading it out perhaps to thinking about prostitution or pornography or do you remain very much concentrated on surrogacy it, well, I think, yes, I have
1: absolutely been very positively impacted by the feminists that have been down in the trenches for years in the area of prostitution and, and violence and abuse and um, against women. So, you know, the Julie Bindles of the world, the Kaita Ekman's. Uh, Melissa Farley in my backyard here in the San Francisco Bay Area, who's a longtime researcher in the space of prostitution, have heavily influenced my thinking and expanded my thinking to see that these are really just different sides of the same coin. You know, the fact that on one hand, we have the, uh, the sex industry that profits off of women's reproductive bodies. Um, in the area of prostitution and prostituting women, and then we have this big fertility industry that has its different uh, different pimps and johns, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that's profiting again off women's reproductive bodies, um, mm-hmm. but it's in the in the in the case of making babies. You know, I, I just was in Washington D.C. speaking on a panel next to Melissa Farley, who made really great parale- parallel parallel um, comparisons between the language. And the, the same kind of ethical problems that we have when you're fighting this huge profit industrial complex that's built on women's reproductive bodies.
0: So I know that you've made some documentaries, too, and you, presumably you see this is at least one way to fight back against this multibillion dollar industry, as it were, as, as one strategy for fighting back, at least.
1: Yeah. And I think... You know, it it became very evident early on. You know, the first film I produced is a film called egg you know, like eggs like you have for breakfast. And it's a documentary film that features um, several young women in the United States who were university students who saw ads in their paper to help somebody be an angel, make dreams come true, you know, give the gift of life, and oh, by the way, make a lot of money that you can use, you know, as you're a struggling, you know, university student with you know, mounting debt. And it became clear to me that, um, the, you know, the narrative, like you said, is just—it's just so lovely. And you're helping people have children. And what could be wrong? And the nurse in me was meeting all these women who had serious health risks. I mean, two women in eggs will never be able to have their own children by selling their eggs and helping other people have babies. They suffered such massive um, damage to their bodies that they will never be able to have children. And I thought, people don't, that's not a message you're going to see on, on the, the headline news. And people need to hear from these women. And I think the similar work has been done in, in the prostitution area, that this is harmful to women. And we and we can quantify it, and um, I think when you look at the research that Melissa Farley has done, has been very helpful because she's been able with data to show that there is real harm, there's um, trauma, there's post-traumatic stress disorder, there's, you know, all these problems. And I think we need to start doing the similar kind of work in the space of reproductive technologies. So through my films, two on egg donation, and I've made two now on surrogacy, I tell through documentary filmmaking the stories of women who've been harmed. Mm -hmm. Pushing back on that narrative that love wins, everybody wins, we're just helping people have babies, and it's great. And also pushing back on the narrative of choice. You know, we, we are unfortunate in that um, in, the, in the United States, a lot of feminists, and I say feminists in quotes, are of the, you know, it's her, it's her body, if she wants yes. to sell it in prostitution, if she wants to sell her eggs or rent out her womb, it's her right, her body is her choice.
0: Yes. We're
1: so really pushing back on that choice narrative. It's really not a choice that women want to make if they had other opportunities.
0: Yes. Excellent. And I think you made a film about not just exploitation, but about about women as breeders, as it were, Uh, the women whose wombs were rented, too. In that uh, film, I haven't watched it, actually. I've seen the beginning of it. Um, It seemed to be moving towards suggesting that the women found it very difficult to give up their babies. Or that there were problems with the babies and then they were left with them. The the the, the mother, not the birth mother, the mother who would take the baby from them um, would abandon the pregnancy and abandon the birth mother if there was a problem, physical problem with the baby. Is, is that- yeah, yeah
1: the, the full title of the film is breeders, a subclass of women, question mark. Like right. We were questioning, are women just breeders, a subclass of women? Yeah. And we immediately got pushback from the industry, like, oh, you're calling women breeders. We're like, no, we're not calling women <laughs> breeders. We're concerned that women are being treated as breeders, as a subclass of women, in indentured service, servitude, yeah. if you read their contracts. And um, I came up with the name breeders just because when I was a nurse working way back when at the University of California San Francisco many of the male nurses um, that I worked with who happened to be gay male nurses would often just jokingly refer to us as the breeders oh you know women you're just the breeders you're the breeding class you know so that sort of always stuck with me as a, a young early 20something woman that you know I was being called this breeder um, but we told the story in a way that the debate is taking place so in breeders and I- I encourage your listeners, all of our films are on Amazon, so if you have Amazon in the United Kingdom, um, they're all there to be watched, and they're also on Vimeo. But we told the story the way the debate is taking place. So we had altruistic surrogates, meaning they were not paid, they were just truly doing this benevolent act, helping somebody, and we had commercial surrogates. So women who were, um, you know, needed the money and were willing to do this because they needed the money. We had women that were surrogates for strangers, Um, people literally that they'd never even met. Uh, And we had women that were surrogates for uh, family members or friends. So Gail in the film, for example, was a surrogate for her gay brother and his partner. And then we had commercial surrogates, and then we had traditional surrogates. And the traditional surrogate, I don't like that word because there's nothing traditional about it, but she's the genetic mother and the birth mother. So it's her egg and her womb. So we told that Through all of the stories to show that each one of these cases, it went terribly wrong. And you're referring to Heather, who was um, diagnosed with carrying a baby that was going to have a severe anomaly, um, a a genetic um, defect. And the intended parents told her that she had to terminate the pregnancy. Um, And she had signed a contract where she had agreed to terminate the pregnancy, but she had a a moral... um, Uh, problem with doing that only because the doctors told her that the baby would be able to still live a a healthy, productive life. You know, with this disability, it it wasn't like the baby was going to die soon after it was going to be born or anything, but that the baby had a very good prognosis and could probably go on and live a pretty, pretty good life. And so she just had a hard time with just being told to terminate. And so she did it, but she did worry Uh, Again, back to the point, once the babies are born, the surrogates have no right to know. She does not know if this mother kept the child, um, gave the baby up for adoption or whatever became with the child. And that just causes her a lot of grief and anxiety um, because she knows that the family didn't want the baby. They wanted her to terminate the pregnancy, um, but she refused. She basically, you know, waited out the clock in the state of Arizona where um, uh, termination of pregnancy um, is only allowed up to a certain a number of uh, months I don't remember what that that is right now but she waited out the clock so she passed that threshold by law so she could not terminate the pregnancy because she was too far along but the parents took the baby after she delivered but she does not know what became of the child
0: right right so Jennifer what has the pushback been on to you personally in relation to this have you oh Are... well it's yeah. yeah
1: I mean it's, it's you know it's anything that us feminists that are out there fighting for the rights of women not to be erased and and, and pushed pushed in the corner um you know we're called all kinds of things like haters and bigots and intolerant um yeah. I'm told I'm told them my my own business I, I'm told you know if a woman wants to do this it should be her right to do it um you know I, I get my share of death threats on Twitter I should put a bullet through my head
0: yeah. um
1: uh, you know, I'm 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 telling just these outlier stories. You know that my, my films are just. Of course, there's always going to be somebody who has a bad experience. But, you know, overwhelmingly, most people are. It's like the happy hooker. You know, most women are, love doing this. Most are happy surrogates, happy. Yeah. Um, so you know, but we have to become unflappable um, and just yes. know that that's this. That's just the way that the landscape is.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Although it can be exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's not glamorous work and none of us are getting rich doing this work. But we just, you know, we, we know that we um if we don't do it, you know, nobody's gonna step step in and I you know, I have a strong sense again back to my years of working in nursing and in healthcare, um, you know, I have a strong sense of not using another person's body and harming them. So yes. that for somebody else's gain, um, and nice. I just have a strong sense of justice.
0: Yes. Me too. So Jennifer, unless there's something else that you particularly want to highlight, I think we may have come to the end of our conversation. Yeah, we- I think I think we've kind of co- kind of covered everything. Okay, so I think perhaps we will draw it to a, a close. It's been really fascinating and. I think you may not be able to come to the panel on surrogacy at the Filia Conference in October the 18th and 19th. It's a shame, but perhaps another time.
1: Hope so. That'd be great.
0: Okay. Thank you very much, Jennifer.